I'm delighted to be with you again. Uh, and we're continuing this mini-series on encounters with Jesus. And tonight we're going to talk about the Apostle John. Uh, Jesus, of course, encountered many people and made a great difference in their lives. Some of them the wrong way, of course, because they rejected him. But John was one that responded in faith and trust. And uh, we're going to begin by reading 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, excuse me, 12. And this is the word of the Lord. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. It's rather obvious when we read a passage from 1 John um, why the church for almost 2,000 years has called him the Apostle of Love. I counted up the, uh, the frequency that John uses the word love in this one chapter, and it exceeds once per verse. That is, he mentions love more than there are verses in, this, in, this, in the 21 verses of uh, 1 John chapter 4. But I want you to understand that it's not always so. John was not always an apostle of love. As a matter of fact, he was quite the opposite. We could almost call him an apostle of hate because John, before he met Jesus, before Jesus changed him, was selfish and proud and arrogant. He was unloving. He was unkind. He liked to call condemnations down on other people. And there's evidence in the gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, that John did not get along very well with the other disciples. Now, if you think that's simply preacher exaggeration to make a point, you're going to be convinced from the scripture's own evidences that John was not an apostle of love until Jesus made him one. So the question we're asking tonight is, what happens? What ought to happen to a person who encounters Jesus and responds in faith to him. This morning, Pastor Greg made a point of the evidence that ought to be uh, aware to others in, in the lives of those who are committed to Jesus. And that's an emphasis we have tonight, too. What happens when Jesus takes mastery of a person's heart and life? Well, old habits have to be discarded and New ones developed, old hangouts have to be avoided, and new places of companionship discovered. Old attitudes have to be conquered, jealousy, 
greed, pride, and replaced by compassion, concern, following the Sermon on the Mount more closely. Okay. The work, of course, is the work of God. We cannot change our own hearts. But once God, by his grace, changes us, then we begin what we call sanctification. And we have a part in that. So we have to be workers, co-workers with God's spirit in changing our lives. When Jesus becomes resident in a person's heart, we ought to see the difference. You know, a growing organism either grows or dies. That's true of the spiritual life. We either keep growing or the evidence of life starts to fade. And if there's not evidence that Jesus lives in us, maybe we have to ask ourselves whether we be confronted with him once more. So John changed by encounters with Jesus. Our first, the first point we want to make is, it's urgent necessity. John had to be changed. He really needed changing. We first meet John when Jesus was uh, recruiting his disciples, his early companions. And we are told that he was a son of Zebedee, brother of James, friend of Peter, business partner. They were in the fishing business together. When Jesus called the disciples, some of them he gave surnames, something like nicknames. Remember, when Jesus met Simon, he called him Peter. Now, Peter was not the name on Peter's birth certificate. His name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, Bar means son, and Jonah is the Aramaic for John, the Greek John. So, Jesus identified something in Peter that was rock-like, so he called him Little Rock, or Rocky, <laughs> something like that. Well, Jesus gave John and his brother James a nickname, too. He called them Boanerges. That's not a very nice title. I looked it up in Sayers' lexicon, kind of things that preachers use to get their facts straight. And this is what it says about the word Boanerges. It indicates a fiery and destructive zeal like unto a thunder and lightning storm. That's not, that's not a very good title, is it? Apparently, Jesus detected something in John's life that was not very attractive. Uh, his nature must have been explosive. He probably had a hair-trigger temper. He liked to thunder denunciations down on other people. So at the outset... This name does not suggest a very pleasant personality initially. I know, I know we call him the Apostle of Love, and I, suppose, I think he's earned it, because you read his epistles, they're intensely warm, loving and kind. And the focus is on the love of God for a lost and unworthy world. But that isn't the way it was initially. Initially, John was quite the other. I'm going to give you three glimpses into the personality of John lifted from 
the first three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Sometimes these are repeated in them, but I want you to see that the, the, the faithful representation of John in the Gospels is not very pleasant. The first of these is in Matthew, chapter 20, verses 20 to 24. Some of you uh, follow along and, and record these things. I give this for your benefit. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 24, there's that interesting story of John's mother who came to Jesus with a special request. Lord, says Mrs. Zebedee, when you come into your kingdom, when you establish your earthly national structure with headquarters in Jerusalem, permit my sons, my boys, Johnny and Jimmy, to be the second highest authorities in your kingdom. To compare that to our, our own national life, it would be similar to, to being Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense in the President's cabinet. Apparently, Mrs. Ebony had ambitions for her boys, but they were shared by John and James. Because if we read this same account, in the Gospel of Mark, the mother's name isn't even mentioned. Mother isn't even mentioned at all. But there it says that John and James came to Jesus. So there must have been a conspiracy, a strategy. Lord, we're going to see to it for the brightest possible future and authority that we can exercise in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' response, of course, was, don't look for honor. Don't look for the power and authority, but look for opportunities for service. He says, can they drink of the cup of which I must drink or be baptized with the baptism for which I must be baptized? In other words, will they be able to endure the challenges that I face? I think it, that reflects something of an unchristian character, don't you? John, apparently, with his brother and mother, was apparently motivated by sinful ambition, personal pride. He wanted to stand above others, the other disciples, and lord it over them. I know this character, characteristic is out of keeping with the John that we know later in the, in the epistles, the apostle of love. But early in Jesus' ministry, John was interested in the most successful future of the person most important to himself, namely himself. I know this is a character that Jesus detected, and that's something of what Boanerges, the son of thunder idea, suggests. In Jesus' future kingdom, John wanted to be a big shot. Now, if you think that that's not too serious an offense, after all, we have to be successful. We try to be successful in life. Let's turn to the second gospel, the gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. John and his companion, we don't really know who he was. We don't have those details, but we do know that on occasion, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two into the various villages 
to tell them that the kingdom has arrived, the Son of God is here. Well, John and his companion, whoever that was, came into this village and found some stranger there already preaching in Jesus' name. Not mentioned by name, it, it does suggest that he was very successful, this man. At least demons were being cast out in the name of Jesus. But when John met this stranger, he thought this man should be stopped because he was not part of John's group. And we read that when he returns to where Jesus was, he reported his experience to the Lord rather proudly, I expect. He says, Lord, we've found one casting out demons in your name, but we stopped him because he followeth not with us. I imagine John expected Jesus to pat him on the back a bit and say, John, uh, good, we want to maintain the exclusiveness of our own little group. We want to run down any competition. But that isn't what Jesus says, is it? He said, John, that man preaching in my name is one of us. The important thing is he's declaring the same name the only name by which we must be saved. Now that was an experience, an account, encounter with Jesus that taught John a lesson, that our unity after all is in Jesus Christ. And however we appreciate our own particular tradition, we're thankful for all others who are casting out devils in Jesus' name too. One more. One more glimpse, one more perspective into John before Jesus changed him. And I think this is the worst, and that's why I'm, I'm glad it's the third. It uh, comes to us from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. There Jesus and his disciples are described as traveling from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south with Samaria in between. Be like going from southern Wisconsin to Indiana. You have to pass through a bit of Illinois. Well, now, in Jesus' day, self-respecting Jews would never walk through Samaria. That was the territory of those unbelievers, those Samaritan folks, those half-breed Jews. And so they walked miles out of the way, crossed the river, the Jordan River, twice from Judea to Galilee in the reverse. But Jesus wasn't that way. He was not a discriminator of people. And so when he and his disciples journeyed either north or south through Samaria, he walked right through that territory. Well, it's a long way. It's, either, it's something like 60 to 90 miles depending on where you begin, where you end, in, from Galilee to Judea. And so it took several days, and one of those days, as night was falling, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead to a Samaritan village to ask permission to stay overnight in their town. But years of hatred between Jews and Samaritans made their response quite predictable, and they said no. Our motels are for Samaritans. You Jews move on. Well, can you imagine how John 
this fiery personality, this Boanerges type, would respond to a situation like that? Well, you know how, how he responded because the Bible tells us how he responded. He went to Jesus with a request, a solution, he thought, to this conflict, this lack of hospitality on the part of the Samaritans, and said to Jesus, Wilt thou that we call fire down from heaven and consume them? Imagine you call this man an apostle of love. And on this occasion, he asked Jesus to use his supernatural power to burn people to a cinder. Boanerges. John needed changing. It was urgently necessary. And it happened. It's not a pleasant picture we see of John before his encounters with Jesus. But fortunately, we can move on to another encounter because we see the gracious consequences of John's encounters with Jesus. A remarkable change took over in the life of John because of his relationship with Jesus. And now we turn to the fourth gospel for that evidence. Throughout the fourth gospel, there moves a mysterious, unmentioned personality. Never mentioned by name, one of the disciples is simply called the apostle whom Jesus loved. Or one of the twelve, or just simply another disciple. Even liberal modern theological scholarship has come around to recognize that John wrote the fourth gospel. And in the gospel which John himself wrote, he never mentions his own name. Why? This man who wanted to, in, wanted to be in the forefront leading, who wanted to assure himself the highest positions in Christ's earthly kingdom that they all then expected yet to be. This one's proud, abusive person who wanted to see people burned alive. Burn, baby, burn. John's solution to the civil rights problem of his day. Here in his own gospel, recedes into the background, unmentioned. Something happened. Something radically happened in John's life. This proud, arrogant, pushy personality now isn't important to himself. Now Jesus must have the focus of attention. And if the mention of the author's name would detract from the glory of his Jesus, it's better to leave the title unmentioned. Jesus saw this taking place from a son of thunder to an apostle of love. And that's why on the cross, Jesus suffering on the crucifixion addressed a statement to this transformed son of thunder and to 
Jesus' own mother with him. John, you were told this morning, was the only disciple who did not die a martyr's death, but died in prison. John was also the only disciple who stayed with Jesus to the very end. And Jesus addressed him and Jesus' only own mother with these words, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And we read that from that day on, John cared for Jesus' mother. Jesus entrusted the care of his own mother to a transformed son of thunder. What happened? How can we explain that? Well, John explains it for us in the scripture which we read earlier. This is love, not that we love God. John knew he didn't do that on his own. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We don't really know the exact time and place where this change began in John's life. But I like to think that it happened at the foot of the cross. Because, friends, that's where it happens for any of us. It isn't until we see the love of a father reflected in the face of a dying savior that we are really changed and we're not the same again. And that's why this theme flows throughout the entire epistles that John wrote. The wonderful change that God affected in his love, in his life, because he was convinced that God loved him. Seems like two different people, but it's the same person in whom this gracious result has come to expression. Now, John wasn't the only one to, to, to whom this happened. Peter, my, he was a boastful braggart. But he was changed, too, into a faithful follower and died a martyr's death. Paul burned with hatred for Christians and tried to persecute them to the ultimate. ultimate. But Paul later willingly submitted to the same treatment to which he once had sent Christians. Why did they change? Because they had an encounter with Jesus and recognized the love of God. Well, what about you and me? Are there any sons of thunder among us tonight? Any here? Any with characteristics that the Bible describes John as possessing before he met Jesus? Any personal traits, pride, arrogance, selfishness? Have you ever wished you could do, bring harm to someone who disagreed with you? Any fault-finding here? Any quick tempers? Any hostility? Of course, because there's a little of the Son of Thunder in all of us by nature. We are all intolerant and selfish 
and self-serving if left only to our own resources. All of us by nature need the transforming grace that John exemplified in his life. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that's the only kind of material at Jesus' disposal to build his church today. Unsuitable material like you and me, Jesus takes and transforms and makes us promoters of his kingdom and of his glory. And then people around us begin to see the evidence of that grace in our own lives. And so I will ask you tonight, is Jesus changing you? Is he changing me? Huh? Oh, he doesn't change our voices from tenor to bass or anything in between, but he surely changes what we say with the voices he gives us. He doesn't change our eyes from blue to brown or gray or whatever, but he changes the way we look at other people, whether we look with resentment and condemnation or with compassion and love. And he doesn't change our financial status in life, <laughs> but he surely changes what we do with the resources that he gives. And it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen just by coming to church. Well, it's an important part of this sanctifying process. We are encouraged together under the preaching of the gospel. But he only changes, it only happens when we in spirit come humbly to the foot of the cross and recognize that God's love has been demonstrated for us in the person of Jesus. Maybe you think John is still a little proud, a little immodest to call himself an apostle that Jesus loved. But you'd be wrong. That's not immodesty. Jesus wants us to know that he loves us. Unworthy, yes, he loves us. And the difference between Judas, who heard the same message from the same lips of Jesus for the same length of time, the difference between Judas and John was simply this. Judas never believed that Jesus loved him. 